Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Scott Alford. He is one of the top online business mentors and advisors, and he also owns dozens of businesses that have collectively generated tens of millions of dollars. And this done in multiple niches, countries across the world, and so forth. In his new Investing with Scott newsletter, he gives you a behind-the-scenes look into acquiring, building, and scaling businesses based on his experience of helping hundreds of entrepreneurs scale all the way up to seven and eight figures. As an entrepreneur, since he was seven, and by the time he was 16, having a million-dollar business, while ending up a million in debt and now by 31 becoming a decamillionaire, he has a massive amount of insights, understandings, knowledge, and wisdom for scaling and building a business. You can now check what he's up to by going into investing.scottalford.com. If you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every sales situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's Asynchronous, I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com is just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I'm very excited with the guests that we have today. We're going to be talking a lot about building, financing, and then also like uh, doing this as well in Europe. Again, you know, we're going to find this story very inspiring, and I don't want to make anyone wait any longer. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Eric Martinson. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate for being here. So originally born outside of Stockholm, Eric, so give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? No, I mean, it was good. I mean, I was born outside Stockholm, as you mentioned, and uh, yeah, went, went through a, a normal public school. And then sort of grew up and, and was very technically oriented and ended up at uh, Linköping University, which is um, uh, two hours outside of Stockholm, where I studied industrial engineering. Went uh, through a lot of things when, on the technical side and also did one uh, gap year in San Diego, uh, or actually an exchange year in San Diego, where I also looked into a lot into the electrical vehicles field and uh, uh, the solar field, um, and then uh, went back home um, and wanted to sort of uh, set the basis for 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 the future career here. And what was you know how do you land in engineering? Like what was that process like? I think I mean first of all my my grandpa was an engineer, uh, and um, in that sense uh, I mean I 
I've always been very technically interested. And I think that um, from my side, I mean, it, it's an interest that I have uh, everything from from on, on the tech side as well as on, on actual building things and understanding how things work. And I think that's been an interest all my life. And that's probably been, been a, yeah, a strong influence why I chose engineering in the first part. And also when you were in San Diego, I mean, you had the opportunity of really looking around and, and, and get to see, you know, different things that also opened your mind as to, you know, maybe like, like testing, you know, small projects and see where that would, where that would lead. And that eventually led you to really starting, you know, the company that you're, that you've embarked yourself in uh, now. And we'll talk about it just in a little bit with Svea Solar. So, so walk us through what were those sequences of events that, that needed to happen? So basically, I mean, uh, when I started in Linköping, I met Bjorn, which is now the co-founder of Svea Solar that, that started Svea with me together. And I mean, we had some different uh, events. I mean, we were we had a student event company that rented the equipment to different student uh, events and, and so on in Linköping. And then when we were in San Diego, we had different uh, sort of small ventures that we tried out. Uh, I also remember going to LA after I started in San Diego, uh, visiting a friend there. Uh, and uh, I looked into this uh, Tesla Model S that, that I thought was not the best uh, EV in the world. It was the best car in the world. And, and I actually tried to get a job at Tesla a couple of times. Uh, obviously, it worked out very well. Uh, but then, I mean, when we went back in Bjorn from, from San Diego to Linköping and started to wrap up school there, we started looking into what can we do, do together and, and what kind of you know, renewables can we do. And you know, coming to Sweden, we thought you know, wind is obviously much more effective than solar, we thought. And we started looking into that. Uh, one windmill was roughly 5 million euros. And, and I looked at Bjorn, do you have 5 million euro? He looked at me, no, I don't. And I don't either. And we had like $1,000 in student funding per, per month. So it was quite, quite a far gap. And then we started looking into actually, uh, what can we do with solar? Because we saw that happening in San Diego. Basically. And did a math and said, like everyone else thought in Sweden, that, that will, might work well in, in Spain and in San Diego, but not so much in, in Sweden. But we did a math and, and we looked into it and said, it's actually a very good financial case. We started looking into that and what, what kind of players are in the business. And we thought we could do it quite well. And, and that was really the basis for, for, for Svea Solar. And we looked at the potential for solar is huge, even in Sweden. And, and uh, uh, if it's working well in Sweden, then it's going to be fantastic elsewhere. And that's really what we're seeing now. Solar will eventually become the number one source of energy, uh, it looks like, for, for most prognosis. And out of that potential, I mean, what, were, what was that key metric or that key factor that made you think, I got. I got to go through this. I got. I got to make this happen. We need to build this company. Everyone knows we need to, to stop using fossil fuels. And and if you start looking into what are the major driving forces for that, you would very quickly understand that solar is the number one factor. And and I thought that was very inspiring. And and if we can be part of of making that happen quicker, uh, then we have done a fantastic job. So that's really the basis of Svea Solar and, and why we're working. Uh, very hard to, to scale the company as fast as possible. So when you said, okay, let's, let's, uh, they would say, screw this, let's do this, you know, kind of, kind of mentality. Then what were the, what were the next steps? I mean, what, what, what were the next steps like and, and what were the early days like on the company? So, so basically, I mean, we, uh, in to, uh, really late 2013, December 2013, we put together our master thesis, me and Bjorn. And the day after, we have already planned to, to visit the potential suppliers in Germany, which was the basis for the solar part in, in Europe back then. Uh, and, and so we just, you know, had one day gap, and then we went down to Germany visiting all the suppliers. We went there to, to the major solar manufacturers in, in the world, basically, and said, hey, we're, we're two students. We're going to you know, be the winner in Europe, and, and it's going to be good for you to, to work with us. 
Uh, most people thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but some suppliers really looked, hey, we have no really companies working with us in Sweden. So these two guys sounds like they're at least trying to do something. So let's, uh, let's bet on them. And they did. And uh, they are now our main suppliers today. So I think, um, you know, it's been kind of a mutual good investment, I think. I mean, so that, that was the sort of basis on, on what we were doing. And in the beginning, I mean, we had basically no funding at all. So we started to do everything. So me and Bjorn, we went and out on the field and did eight hours of mounting in the day and then did the bookkeeping, sales and, and, and planning and all that uh, eight hours in the evening. So that was pretty much the, the, the mentality of what we did for the first year. So we pretty much had no employees the uh, first year at all. And then, you know, you eventually get to a thousand employees, right? And, and you have, you know, the subsidies that are coming from, from the government, you know, which are very helpful too. You get into an acquisition, then all of a sudden, you know, like uh, news start coming from China, and this eventually leads to one of the worst times in your professional career. So what happened there? Walk us through, through those moments and, and how were you guys able to turn them around? So basically, I mean, we had a very good run. It was a tough first year. And, and then we started to get things really rolling. I mean, we, we grew really fast. We were profitable. We, we had a good cash flow. And we used all the profits to sort of, you know, gain momentum for the business. And then we did our first financial round in February 2020 to, to make an, an international expansion, basically. So we just started Spain. We acquired a company which were present in Germany, in the Netherlands, and in Belgium. Uh, and then we started to hear about rumors from some kind of wires in, in China, which were going to, you know, affect us on the supply chain side. And then, you know, the acquisition went through 1st of April. That's pretty much when we got lockdowns in, in Spain, in, in Belgium, in, in the Netherlands, and also parts of Germany. So, so basically, uh, you know, we, we were, you know, running full force, uh, hiring a lot of people in Sweden in everywhere, everywhere, and we couldn't even go to the country. So we were having basically a standstill for the entire operations. And then also in July, they pulled the subsidies from 20% for residential customers in Sweden to zero over one week. Uh, so we were basically standing there full force growing tremendously well and then we had to do actual layoffs which was super tough so we were now a, a company which was uh, from being the market leader in sweden now in five countries trying to win europe uh, and then have to, and got our whole market we were we were super strong uh we got the subsidies cut at the same time so that was really really tough so so we had to really you know go back to basics and trying to find out how we can work with with what we have and, and really look you know long term uh, we had we had strong investors that were backing us up, which was uh, fantastic. Uh, but it was really tough. I was at Q2, Q3, 2020 was super, super tough. And then we started to really gain momentum back. And we actually did manage to grow the company during 2020, but not at the scale we were expecting. But during 2021, we actually grew more than expected. So we kind of got that gain back. Uh, but but it was really tough. And, and it's it's hard when you have a very strict plan that you're following. And every year you've been hitting those targets. And then, you know, you go out to five markets and, and, and Corona hit and you have a very, very tough hand. So, Eric, obviously, you know, like really tough times, you know, during this uh, July 2020, where you need to make all these different decisions. You need to go through the layoffs and, and stuff like that. I mean, this obviously helps you to mature too as a leader. So I think that how, how was that for you and who did you need it to be as a leader to really get in front of what you had, you know, right there, you know, in front of your eyes? to make sure that, you know, you were able to give, you know, a future and, 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 and a possibility for the company to not only to, to survive, but then also to thrive after that. 
I mean, basically, I mean, you, you, you need to sort of think about, I mean, obviously, it's super tough to, to, to make a lot of layoffs for, for a lot of people that you think are really good and are trying really good for the company. But it's really about, you know, you know it was about survival for the company, in essence. Uh, so, I mean, in order to save all the other employees, that, that was what we needed to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was super, super tough. And I mean, you start to think about it. I mean, we have had the opportunity to never really have to do any layoffs. Obviously, we had some people leaving the company and we had some people that, that was not really working out well. But in essence, we had never in this company's history ever had to fire someone or, or, or lay off someone that we didn't, you know, um, not think was performing as well as it should. So it was really, you know, tough to, to look into people's eyes that were good, good people that were performing really well. But basically, are saying, "Hey, this is what the reality is." I mean, we we can't have you on the payroll. Basically, that was very tough. So that that gives you, as a founder and and, and as a CEO, perspective uh, on how things are. And, and and but I mean, in essence, I mean, what we're trying to do and uh, is to build the best company possible for the employees and for for what we're doing. And 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 that was what needed to be done, um, unfortunately. And how do you how do you deal with that? to make sure that you're able to minimize as much as possible the impact on culture? I mean, we try to be as transparent as possible. I mean, saying this is, you know, we did this bet. You know, we were, you know, going out to these countries. We were hiring these really good people. And uh, things were happening. I mean, some some that we could have controlled, uh, some that we couldn't control. Uh, but, I mean, we tried to be very, very transparent. And, and you know, we still have our long, long-term long vision and we still have our long-term targets uh, to achieve. So, I think, a lot of people also, you know, within the company were supporting us very well within these times, I would say. Uh, but it's, of course, it's very, very tough. It, it, it was probably, from a professional standpoint, one of the toughest times I've ever had. I hear you. I hear you. Now, for the business, how much capital have you guys raised today? So we just raised another, I mean, basically 100 million euros um, in, in the early spring. And then a couple of weeks later, we raised another 100 million to our utility side. We were also building solar parks. And then before that, we, we had raised, um, you know, roughly 20, 30 million euros. So in total, I think uh, 230 uh, million euro, roughly. And in terms of the subsidies that you were alleging earlier, I mean, how, how do those subsidies typically work for, for a company like this? I mean, so basically, I mean, there, there's different schemes in every country. I mean, now we are growing tremendously well in Germany, which is, you know, they have some subsidies, especially on the battery side. Uh, and, and in Sweden, we still have, you know, they actually, I mean, I talk about they took away the subsidies from 20 to zero, and then they actually went back, you know, two quarters later to from zero to, to 15. Uh, so th- there's some some subsidies, but in, in general trend, we're seeing subsidies being phased out of the market. Uh, but, but I mean, solar is more and more competitive, especially now. I mean, the energy sort of prices in Europe is extremely high now. So even without subsidies, uh, solar makes a lot of sense. So I think, you know, in Spain, for example, the, the subsidies are very limited. Uh, and and we're still selling a lot of systems. So in general, it's really about navigating the the, the, the sort of subsidy structures that are in every country. But uh, long term, I mean, solar is, will be the cheapest source of energy, and, and we're seeing that happening. And that's why solar is growing as fast as it is in, in many markets. Subsidies are there to sort of make the growth more stable and and, and increase the rate of the growth. This ad is brought to you by ShipStation. I mean, I remember when I was saying, doing my book, my previous book, you know, it was incredible, like how much of a nightmare, you know, like shipping all those books to everyone, you know, during the launch was, was it, was, it was really tough. Now, you know, there's this company, it's called ShipStation that sets you up for growth 
directly by integrating every shopping cart and storefront so that your products are easier to find, easier to manage, uh, easier to get into the hands of the happy customers. So there's no more limiting your business. You can actually right now maximize your sales and save times with consolidated order management and automated shipping updates for your customers. So ship more and grow with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com today and sign up with promo code DEALMAKERS to a free 60-day free trial. Start today and get to set up before the biggest shipping season of the year. That's two months free. Visit ShipStation.com and click the microphone at the top and type in code DEALMAKERS. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing business. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. Or a company like this, obviously, you know, is is capital intensive. I mean, you were alluding to it. I mean, you've, you've, you guys have raised, you know, quite a bit of money, but how does the process or how do the financing cycles pan out over time? You know, because I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are probably listening that are more the traditional SaaS, you know, type of uh, companies and people listening are maybe more used to those, but this is probably a different approach. So how did the financing cycles unfold? I mean, so basically we have two sides, obviously, of the company. So, I mean, we have our, our sort of hardware that we are running through to our customers, installing the solar parts uh, and the batteries and EV charging and combining that. But also, we, I mean, we're selling electricity as a company. I mean, we have energy trading. Uh, we also have sort of optimization, frequency control, where we are sort of using our batteries and EV charging to stabilize the grid. So we have both sides, basically. And, and what we're doing is basically to get as many assets out there as possible to be able to then get the recurring revenue from every customer that we have. So I would say from a financial standpoint, I mean, it's really about optimizing working capital when you have all of these assets that you're bringing out to the customer. But also when you're scaling at the rate we're doing, I mean, we are you know roughly 1,000 employees and we'll be doing next year roughly 400 million euro in revenue. I mean, there's a lot of, of, of you know, warehouse or, or parts in the warehouse that we need to account for. And, and you know, you can't get all the credit lines expanding as fast as your company. So you need to sometimes also prepay a lot of, of equipment. So that's why we need a lot of capital and also uh, to be able to get larger credit lines, you know, the, the, the larger balance sheets we have, the easier it is for us to get more credits from our suppliers and so on. So it's really going hand in hand there. So, so there's different sort of, aspects of raising capital for those types of businesses. But what makes us quite unique in this field is that you're seeing sort of the clean tech trends. You know, a lot of the companies are coming from both hardware and software, which is historically kind of unique. You have a lot of hardware companies uh, and then you have a lot, of, a lot of software companies where most you know, battery companies, solar companies uh, uh, doing the sort of shift towards renewables are, are merging software and, and hardware. So you're seeing some kind of like 
financing for the for, for both recurring revenues and heavy assets. And and that's not been as common, in my opinion, at least um, previously. You have a lot of like hard asset companies and, and, and a lot of software. And now we're seeing in, in the green tech space, you need or not need to, but, but most companies have some kind of combination of both. And now for a company like this, for the people that are listening to really get it, you know, what is, what is the business model really? I mean, how, how do you guys make money? So basically, I mean, as mentioned there, I mean, we make money on the, on the upfront payment from the customer on, on the uh, many of our systems, but we also offer rentals, meaning, I mean, you can literally say that you're leasing the system or, or have like a 20-year rental on the system uh, where you get recurring revenue, but also then adding on the energy to, uh, contracts, meaning that, you know, you know, we don't only supply the solar for them, but you can also sell back your solar. And then when you don't have enough solar in your system, uh, you can then buy back energy from the grid, which is also creating sort of uh, uh, an energy as a service product. And then uh, with that being said, when we now see in Europe, the prices are, you know, uh, 10x on the day compared to the, to the nighttime, it makes a lot of sense to work with the batteries and store the energy and ensure that the customer is using the energy at, at the cheapest point and also uh, taking off loads of the grid because the, the price are high because the, the grid is constrained or, or there's very li limited production in the grid at that time. So we're stabilizing the grid. And I would say over time, that platform will be our largest asset. When we have millions of customers out there that are using our systems and we are ensuring that they're charging the car at the correct time, that they're offloading the batteries at the right time and producing solar and so on, and combining that also with heat pumps in the future as well and, and AC systems. Uh, that will really ensure that we can create uh, a system where we can really balance the grid. Because if you look at the three mega trends out there, I mean, we will electrify all transport over time. We will electrify all industries over time. And we will, at the same time, uh, need to ensure that the grid is fully renewable. And all of those three trends are putting tremendous constraints on the grid. So everything we can do as a company to take off the constraints of the grid, uh, we will have a massive add-on to society. And hence, we can then, you know, uh, get value out of that as a company. And right now, how how big is the company? I mean, anything that you can share in terms of maybe like a number of employees or anything else that you feel comfortable sharing? So we're 1,000 employees this this year, and we will do roughly turnover this year of, of 230 million euros. So uh, next year, about 400 million, as I mentioned. Uh, so we're growing quite steep. And, and I think we will be, I mean, our target is to 2026 to 1.5 billion uh, euro in revenue and have 5,000 employees roughly. So we're scaling up quite fast and, and you know it comes back to what a company stands for. I mean, our job is to take away as much fossil fuels as possible. And we can only do that by scaling really fast. There's basically no other way. So that's why you know growing is in our DNA. So our job is to scale the company as fast as possible and take away our three main competitors consisting of coal, oil, and gas. I love it. Now, obviously you're throwing a lot of zeros in there. You know, and, uh, you know, that could give vertigo eh, to, to I mean, at least to me, you know, like that level of growth. I think that, you know, also when, when a company is growing so fast, um, as a leader, it's important that you're able to grow at the same level in parallel so that you're not outpaced by, by your company. No? So I guess for you to evolve, to grow as a leader, I mean, how have you gone about that so that, you know, you keep, you know, up with the same, you know, velocity and speed that the company is, is running at? I mean, I mean, that's a great question, obviously. I think that many companies are constrained. I mean, in the beginning, they're, they're fueled by their founders. But then in the later stages, they're constrained by, by their founders. So uh, my job, obviously, as a CEO is to try to evolve faster or at least at the same pace 
as the company. Otherwise, uh, we will not get full potential out of the people that we have. And really, to be able to do that, I mean, uh, there, there's obviously a self-improvement uh, variable in here. But there's also a, a, a very important thing is to realize what are your weaknesses, what are your strengths, and build a, a great management team. I mean, we have worked a lot with that and really, you know, building great people uh, that are working close with me, but also all the way down in the company. So I would say, uh, if you look at the sort of bottlenecks of scaling the company from 1,000 to 5,000 employees, it's really to attract the best talents, making them grow and creating good leaders within the company also, and keeping them with the company. So we've also made a, uh, what I think is kind of an unorthodox way is that, I mean, our uh, HR officer, Hannah Manberg, is working in parallel with me. So we're sharing the management team in that sense, so that we have the HR agenda at the very top, not in the management team, at the top of the management team, because that's how you know, we are focusing on really valuing the, the, the HR side and, and creating you know, a good path for our employees to grow and thrive within the company. And how would you say that, you know, obviously when executing and building a company is you can have the best team in the world, you can have a good market, but more importantly than that is being at the right time in history and having the wind blowing, you know, on your back. How do you think that that has helped you guys, you know, especially with all this climate change talk, you know, like in really having the, the, the traction that you guys have today? I think, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, the environment that you're, you know, working within your company is tremendously important. I mean, uh, it's very, very hard to, to, to do very well in a business that are, or, or an area which is uh, not doing very well. I mean, you can, you can define, but, but having this type of growth, you need to have a fantastic product that is so much better than your competition. But if you are in this field, like in renewables or, or, you know, everyone knows we will need to take away fossil fuels. I mean, we are not constrained by the market. We're constrained by ourselves. If we can grow faster, we will grow faster. There's basically no limit on the market. I mean, obviously there is a limit, but it's far off from where we are from today. So I think that's tremendously important. But it's also, I think it's more inspiring to be able to think about it. If, if you are doing better, you will actually bring your, your product and the rest of, of, of you know, sort of your uh, friends in the industry uh, that are doing better will also bring that product forward faster. That's much more inspiring than working within a old industry that might be growing with two, three, four percent per year. Uh, so if you're doing well, you're basically taking business from someone else. Uh, I mean, this is not the case. I mean, we are not looking at our. I mean, I mentioned you know our competition is coal, oil, and gas. It's not other solar players. Uh, so if the constraints is within the company purely. Uh, then you should act like that and realize that you should just try to focus on getting the full potential out of your company, nothing else. And that, I think, in essence, is inspiring. Now, one question that I like to ask you here is, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight, Eric, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Svea Solar is fully realized. What does that world look like? I mean, first of all, there will be no fossil fuels within the energy sector at all. Uh, that 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 is the main goal, uh, for sure. And I mean, um, I I really hope that will happen, uh, and and we will work really hard every day to to make that go faster. Uh, and and I mean, you know, everyone knows that you know solar and wind is has great potential uh, to to take out coal, oil, and gas, uh, and other forms of energy as well. But uh, I think in, in in essence, it's just a matter of, of implementing what we already have uh, and, and doing it as fast as possible. So I mean, I would be 
very happy to wake up one day and realizing that it will be a replacement market that we will just replace all customers and not need to get any new ones. Uh, the, the company will still obviously be there because we will have to maintain all the systems and, and, and get the, you know replacements on systems that are not working anymore um, because they have a lifespan of roughly 30 years. So there will always be a replacement market. That, that would be a good future. Uh, but but to, to be honest, I think that I'm more of a CEO and a founder that likes to really push the company and, and, and hit the boundaries. And I'm probably not the best CEO for that type of company that would just stabilize and, and, and you know try to keep what's already out there. So I guess I probably would, I would not be the CEO of that company. I'm quite certain. You you you've alluded to it, you know, before on on the need for for doing some good uh, and for what's happening with fossil fuels. You know, I find that one of the one of the issues that uh, that we've we've been dealing with is the lack of consciousness around this, right? Around the impact you know that those have in the environment. So I guess. The question here that comes to mind is, do you think that that consciousness now is maybe opening up? Do you think it's people are more aware of, of what's going on? Well, I think it, there, there's always like different types of, of hot topics. But if you look at the, a mega trend, which is renewables, I mean, and environmental and, and CO2 emissions that, that a lot of people are talking about. Obviously, there's been debate on how, how much is uh, human made and how much is uh, from elsewhere and so on. But but it's clear, I mean, in essence, I mean, we will run out of fossil fuels. Either we pump them out of the ground or, or, or we, you know, we just realize that we will, you know, use solar and wind instead. And in my mind, you know, let's, let's try to not gamble and just make it happen as fast as possible. And, and I think the debate now is switching from like, is, is it man-made or not? And it's like, I think most people are realizing that we are causing quite a harm on the planet. And, and the faster we can fix that, the better it is. Uh, and when we're also now seeing, which is, you know, not been the case for, for maybe 10 years ago, when it's financially logical to also invest in re renewables, uh, that also shifts the entire sort of mindset of, of, of most investors and, and uh, every customer, basically. So what we are trying to provide is a product that are not only environmentally friendly, it's a financially superior product to, to what you have today. And if you can get those aligned, uh, the debate, whether if it's uh, climate change or not, will, will sort of fade out and, and people will just realize this is a good product and it's environmentally friendly. Let's go with that solution. That's really been our sort of essence on, on, on not trying to talk too much about this is what the customer needs to do and sacrifice. We're trying to make a product where you as a customer have a better customer experience and a better product that also will be good for the environment. I think that's a way better sort of angle than, than, than trying to go and say, hey, you need to sacrifice that and that and that that you really want to do. Uh, and we're trying to change that to say, hey, you want to do something for the environment, we can also benefit your, your financials at the same time and, and try and package that product for you. Got it. Now, imagine I was able to give you the opportunity of going into a time machine and going back in time. And you had the opportunity of going back to that moment, you know, when you got started with the company, right? Back in 2013. I mean, we're talking about almost 10 years of lessons learned, 10 years of successes, you know, ups and downs, everything. You know, I mean, it has been a tremendous, you know, journey, you know, and, and, and a wealth of knowledge that you've been able to acquire during this time. So imagine you're able to go back and have a sit down with that younger Eric, you know, maybe that younger Eric that, you know, has been in San Diego taking a look around, you know, all that stuff and seeing what could be, you know, a world where, you know, some a new creation is, is, is brought to life. If you were able to tell that younger self or give that younger Eric 
a piece of advice before launching a business? What would that be and why, given what you know now? I mean, first of all, I would I would say it's super important that you found a great founder, and which I did. I mean, Bjorn is fantastic, and we have been working very well together. So that was, I would say, more luck than 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 uh, than it was sort of thought through. Uh, but I mean, that was fantastic. So I would say that's you know do that. that that's some things I would say keep doing that and work with that. But I will also say sort of I mean, in essence, being maybe a little bit more calm. I mean, in the sense that I mean. Uh, when you see trouble, usually as a founder at the beginning of a company, you get like almost in panic mode and say, hey, this is the sort of world going down of the company. I mean, be more like, okay, so how, is this really going to impact the company long term or not? I mean, try to think about, uh, you know, really doing long term decisions all the time and, and, and not being too paranoid of, of short term failures. I mean, because that, that's been at least my experience when, in the beginning of the company. When you're a new founder, you start to tend to take a lot of issues very very seriously uh, and i mean you're really like uh, which sometimes make you lose the focus of the long term so i think if you can sometimes really realize that there will be a lot of failures there will be a lot of pain there will be a lot of things that are going to go against you but also have that stamina and saying hey look you know you raise the bar a little bit and or at least raise the the, the vision a little bit and say hey it's going to be okay this is not really the end of the world because i i see a lot of founders including myself in the beginning uh, that were so focused on short-term losses that that you started to do irrational things. Understood. Now, for the people that are listening, Eric, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? I mean, they can just send me an email at eric.martinson uh, at spacelar.com. So that's Eric with a K, Martinson with one S. Uh, and and I think, you know, I will try to answer as, as many emails that I get. And, and uh, I think, you know, one thing that I really enjoy is to, to talk with other founders and other entrepreneurs and potential entrepreneurs that, that have ideas and that you can discuss with, with either if it's renewables or other stuff. I mean, it's always inspiring hearing, you know, people that are, are on the journey or, or uh, you know, starting their journey or have been on the journey for, for quite a while that are, you know, uh, talking on how they can improve their business and, and what they can bring to the world. I think that's fantastic. Amazing. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you very much. Appreciate being here. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers Podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.